Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, you have called us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. We know that we can't do that on our own power because we are weakened in the flesh. We pray mightily for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit that we may set our sights on Lord Jesus to be formed and conformed to his nature, to his image. We pray that our heart may grow in the desire for what you desire. All of this to the glory of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Today we are finishing our series, Christ the Cross and You. It's been a series about relationships. First you and Jesus, and then marriage, and then family, and then church. Then we did conflict last week, and now to be in the world and not of the world. But the whole series really has been a matter of the heart. And by a matter of the heart, I don't mean just your emotions, your thoughts, but your wills and your desire. Because it is this, the desires of your heart affect your attitudes, and your attitudes affect your actions, which affect your relationships. And we saw last week, when the desires of our heart are not set on Christ Jesus, there is discord, anger, pride, malice, even slander, all of that nasty stuff happening. But when our hearts are focused on Christ and the cross of Christ, There's humility, patience, gentleness, tenderheartedness, forgiveness, love, grace, and mercy. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to follow Jesus and be formed and conformed into his very nature. Now, this whole series has both been challenging and encouraging Challenging because we know that we fall short. Encouraging because we know that it is through Christ and Him alone that we are able to have that tenderness and mercy and grace. And now we're going to come to the last part of the series, which is also very challenging. It will be challenging and encouraging because we are to be in the world, but not of the world. And there's always going to be a tug of war between the desires of the world and the desires of Christ Jesus. The world is going to say, hey, come to me. And what you're going to get from the world is just temporary happiness. But Christ says, come to me and you have eternal joy. There's always going to be that tug of war. Ultimately, for God, it is this. God wants your heart's desire to be on him and him alone. He wants the very best for you. And how do you know what God's desires are? God's desire is found through Christ Jesus and his cross. So this morning, we're going to take a look at worldly desires first then godly desires, and then what does it mean to be in the world but not of the world? So we're going to go to Ecclesiastes. I'm going to read verses 4 through 10. This is Solomon. Solomon who wrote this. Solomon, richest king ever. He said, I made great works. 
I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold, the treasures of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eye desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was reward for all of my toil. King Solomon was rich, and he kept no pleasure from himself. Now, I could go through a litany of all the rich people in the world, and all of the riches that they do, and how they indulge themselves, and I bet some of you are thinking, well, I'd at least like to be rich enough to try some of that, right? But that's hard to relate to, for people have all such great riches. And yet the siren song of the world and fulfilling your desires calls on each one of us, on each of us. And we all have our variation of that. I'm going to do a true confession this morning and tell you of how I got sucked in. So I used to uh, work at Best Buy corporate office. I worked there 13 years. And I was a uh, training professional, a teacher in a business setting. And so, you know, Best Buy sells all sorts of electronic gadgets and sound equipment and audio and things like that. I can see my wife smiling a little bit about this one. Um, And so I started to appreciate good sound and good-sounding speakers and audio equipment. People who really love that are called audiophiles or lovers of sound. Now, I did not have the wallet of audiophiles, but because of employee discounts and online auctions and all sorts of stuff, I was able to amass a few things. Let me tell you about our house in Minnesota. Downstairs... In the family room, I had a home theater, five speakers plus the subwoofer, plus then two speakers that were just off in the exercise room so I could control that. In our bedroom, we had five speakers, but also two that controlled ones in the bathroom. So in the morning, of course, you could have sound in the bathroom. And then in the living room, there were only four speakers, but they controlled two other speakers in the kitchen. So you could have your show on in the living room and in the kitchen as well. And then, of course, the office, well, that only had four speakers. Now, some of you might think that might be a little excessive, But no, 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 you don't know audiophiles, but it does suck you in. And, you know, each of us has that thing where we see, oh, there's an ad for these speakers and your heart starts to beat a little faster. You've all got something like that that plucks at your heart's desires. And what happens when you go overboard with that, it takes you away from the desire for God, right? Worldly desires. But what did Solomon, the richest man around, who had 
all the pleasures. What did he ultimately say about it? He said, and behold, all was vanity, a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Striving after the wind, chasing after the wind. He said, all of that is nothing. And from a biblical point of view, you know what it becomes? Self-idolatry, idolatry, where you put yourself and your desires above God and above desire for God. But there's a darker side to all of this. And if you really take a look at Ecclesiastes, there's worldly desires lead to spiritual emptiness, despair, and not only spiritual death, but physical death as well. America is the richest country in the world, right? You would think we would be the happiest country in the world. But in the headlines, if you read it recently, about suicide rates, we pray every week about suicide, right? Let me give you some uh, sobering statistics. Between 2000 and 2016, the overall suicide rate in America went up 30%. The increase in suicides among girls and women for that same time period increased 50%. For boys and men, 21%. Overall, suicide was the 10th leading cause of death in the United States in 2016. It was the second leading cause of death among ages 10 to 34, and the fourth leading cause of death among ages 35 to 54. Worldly desires lead to spiritual emptiness, which leads to despair which leads to death. Thus, for our own protection, for the sake of our souls, we are warned against loving the world. So let's go to our reading from 1 John. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So the love that John is talking about here is not um, a feeling of affection for worldly things. It's more about a devotion or an allegiance to things in the world. For example, Jesus said, if you love me, You will keep my commandments. So if we paraphrase that a little bit, you get this understanding. If you are committed to me, if you are devoted to me, you will do as I say. So thus, the love that John writes about refers to devotion or desire. And he says, do not be devoted to the world. But what is the world that we're talking about? Well, it is the values, it is the morality, it is the uh, philosophy, the worldview, so to speak, everything that is not of God. So if all that philosophy, the values, the morality is not of God, where does it come from? 
Well, Scripture is also clear about this. First John chapter 5, verse 19, it says, It lies in the power of the evil one. So thus the world refers to Satan's domain, and to be devoted to the world is to be devoted to the domain of Satan. This is a spiritual battle going on. And the result is, if you become committed to the world, you reject the Father. So, from uh, our reading, it says, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Got that? That's what it says in Scripture. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. This is a verse that has an absolute meaning to it. You cannot be devoted to the world and devoted to God at the same time. And there's no wiggle room in that particular verse. There's always going to be a tension. Those two kingdoms do not exist, coexist peacefully. One cannot love the world and love God at the same time. Thus, to pledge allegiance to one side is to declare opposition to the other. Let's put it bluntly. You can't declare allegiance to God and Satan at the same time. Now, you understand that, right? I mean, that's pretty straightforward. Let's apply this a little bit. During the series on the, uh, on the seven letters to the seven churches from Revelation, I asked you a question. I said, is it okay to have an affair with someone other than your spouse? And of course you said, no, because we know that that is wrong. But before that, I don't know if you remember if you were here or listened to it, I asked, is it okay to flirt with someone other than your spouse? And you also said, that's wrong. Do you remember that if you were here? You said, that's wrong, because what does even flirting do? It shows that you have a split affection. Just as a wife is jealous of a husband whose full affection is not on her, and a husband is jealous for his wife whose full affection is not on him, God says, I want you all. I want you all in. He says, I want the very best for you. And the very best for you is to have a full relationship with me, and you see that full relationship through Jesus and his cross. You can't have both. Jesus himself said this, No one can serve two masters, for he either will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, some people might say, oh, come on, pastor, you got to lighten up a little bit. Aren't you just being a killjoy here? And the answer is no, not at all. As a matter of fact, I want your joy to be complete. I want your joy to be the joy that Jesus has for you. So let's talk now about godly desires. And this is from our reading, Gospel of John starting with verse 11. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. 
And I am coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture may be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world." I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So the context is this. This is the night on which Jesus was to be betrayed. It was the last few hours he had with his disciples, and he is praying a mighty prayer. It's called the priestly prayer. He is praying a mighty prayer for them. And there's a lot in this prayer. We could actually spend several weeks just in this prayer alone. But there are a couple points I want to pull out for us today. The first one is this. I want to focus on verse 13. It says, but now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Look, Jesus has been teaching his disciples for three years now, right? He's been with them for three years. He has given them everything from the Father, the very word of God. And he has been preparing them that he has to go through to the cross and suffer. And he has also been preparing them that if they follow him, it will be hard. The tradition of the disciples, how for almost all of them, is that they were martyred. They, following Jesus, came at a great, great cost. So he is praying for them. He is pouring out his soul for them, so to speak, the very Spirit of God. And he is doing this so that his joy in them is fulfilled. Read that verse again, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Not that they will have their joy fulfilled in themselves. Did you catch that? That it is the joy of Jesus. That's what he is praying for. So maybe, maybe you and I should quit trying to focus on fulfilling our joy and being filled and fulfilled in the joy of Jesus. Because the joy of Jesus is a heavenly joy. This is the joy that so filled the angelic creatures that around the the throne in Revelation chapter 4, what do they say? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. You see, the joy that Jesus has is a holy joy. When he prays for the disciples, he prays that the Holy Father will keep them in his name. Jesus is making a very marked distinction between the world and the holiness of the Father. Holiness of the Father, holiness of God, is one of the characteristics, if not the characteristics of God. 
Holy or holiness occurs in the Bible over 900 times. It means primarily to be separate from. God is so holy, pure, he is separate from anything that is impure. So Jesus is praying that the disciples are kept in the holiness of God. But how are they kept in the holiness of God? And it is this, that they are sanctified in the truth, and your word is truth. To sanctify literally means to be made holy, to be set apart from. That if you have received Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are now a child of God. You are a citizen of heaven. And thus, you are to be apart from everything that is impure. But we're still in the world, right? And we still work and live in the muck and mire, and the old worldly desires want to pull on our heart. So Jesus says that we are to be sanctified, made holy by the word. And it is this. When you adhere to God's word, you are sanctified in his truth. When you are sanctified in his truth, you have the joy of Christ Jesus. You want to know why I talk about Bible study all the time? It is because we go into God's word and we are sanctified. We are edified. We are built up to be able to be conformed and follow and walk in the manner to which we are called. And there's an aliveness that comes when we study God's word. There's a joy there. There really is. In the Bible study, some of the greatest moments of joy that I've had at, while I've been here at the church. But it's not a giddy joy, right? It's not like, woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. No, it's a deep sense of abiding joy, one that fills you even when it's hard. Look, Paul wrote a lot of letters from prison. He wrote a letter to the Philippians. And this is what he wrote while he was in prison. It's verses, chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. I have uh, verse, part of verse 4 and then 8 through 9 for you. He said, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about everything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What, have you, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the peace of God will be with you. This is Paul who wrote this. And he had that peace, that joy, while in a very, very difficult situation, ultimately going to his death. 
See, it is this. Many people lack the joy of the Lord because they don't know his word. And if you don't know his word, you're going to be swayed by everything in the world. Now, the application of this is very profound, much more profound than you might think. Because if you are sanctified in his word and you're made holy, and the closer you draw to Christ Jesus through his cross, the more you are going to detest sin. The more you are going to detest sin. And you're going to have to make some choices in your life then. You're going to either have to tame down some of those things that are leading you away. Or you're going to have to stop some things in your life that you're doing. Or you're either going to have to walk away from some things completely. And when you do that, be prepared that people will disparage you. They will hate you. They'll call you a prude. They'll call you narrow-minded. They'll call you a bigot. And they will do all of the things because you are in Christ Jesus and his word. Some of you might be sitting on the fence right now regarding some of this. And there's only one thing I've learned regarding sitting on the fence. You get splinters. So this is the choice. Worldly desires, godly desires. Now let's go on to this application to be in the world but not of the world. So there are some people say, well, look, if God is so serious about being separate, about being sanctified, shouldn't we just separate ourselves from the rest of the world? And in that case, people have done that, and you get uh, convents, you get monasteries, or you get the Amish. That's what you get when people say, well, we have to be separate from the world, sequestered off. But Jesus said, I don't want the disciples sequestered off. As a matter of fact, they're in the world, right? None of us are supposed to be sequestered from the world. Because it is this, our ministry, our mission of making disciples of all nations occurs because we are in the world. We're not to sequester ourselves off from anyone. That's why, since I've come here, we've had more of an outward focus, right? Of going out into the community or inviting the community in of having those touch points, as much work as they are, and they are work, right? But we do that because of the mission that we are given in Christ Jesus. That's what we are supposed to do. What I loved about our booth at Halloween in the Hills is how bright it was. We were the light to the street there, to all of those people. And to give out the, the crosses that we had. And I remember, Linda, you talked to me. You said, one girl came up and she looked at the cross and she said, what's this? You see, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be in the world sharing the light of Christ. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. 
and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to God, your Father who is in heaven. So the question this morning, are you, are you willing to be a light unto the world? Not shining for self-glory, but for the glory of Christ Jesus. But remember, the brighter your light shines, two things, people will be attracted to you. They'll want to know why you have such joy in your life. And you can be ready to tell them, I have the joy of Christ Jesus. And the other aspect, remember, Jesus gives us warning greatly. People will hate you because of it. And they will ostracize you. They will sue you. They will even try to shut down your business and put you in jail. I don't say this as damper, but a realistic expectation. But you know what God says? God says, I want the best for you. And the very, the very best I have for you is my son. I gave him for you. Look to the cross. This is what he did for you. And that's the very best. And you, through him, by grace, have a full and restored relationship with me. And now I want you to go in the world and tell them about my son. So this morning, I'd like you to think about a couple questions. What areas or areas in your life are you more devoted to than God? Another sub-question of that is, what do you need to do to temper, stop, or walk away from? What are the things you just got to go, no, can't do that anymore? And the other question is, are you abiding in his word, growing in his joy? Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the life that you have given us in Christ Jesus. We thank you for your word, which is truth. We pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit to work mightily in our lives so that we follow Jesus day by day, being filled with his joy. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that you've been blessed by this message. If you have any questions or you would like to grow deeper in your faith, please visit our website at joyccc.com. Again, that's joyccc.com.